0: This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. Hallelujah. I'm really excited this morning, family, because I believe God's got an absolute feast for us today. I want to share a few things that the Lord has had on my heart for a number of months now and I've been waiting for the right time to bring them and I believe in everything that God's been saying to us over the recent weeks, I believe now is the right time so I'm really glad that you're here to hear what the word has to say today. You know 2015 is going to be such an exciting year for us, it's already exciting but it's going to get even more exciting for us. The Lord has spoken clearly to us about a significant change that's going to happen amongst us. Through the prophetic words that have come through the Ephesians ministries to this body. That significant change will come to us. A new wineskin. That's how radical I believe it is. A new wineskin for us. That will make us ready for the future that God has for us as a family. But a new wineskin requires adjustment. Adjustment. In each of us. And personally, over the last few weeks, I've been sitting with the Lord and asking, What requires adjustment within me, Lord? And we should all be doing the same thing. If we want to be part of what God is doing, if we want to be at the center of what God is doing, we have to ask the Holy Spirit, What requires adjustment in me? The Lord wants to lead us onto pastures new because He's our shepherd. And if we stay in one pasture, then eventually the grass that we eat gets nibbled down to dust. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to nibble dust. I don't want to eat the dust. I want to move on to pastures green. I want to move on to new pastures. Is that what you want? Good. Then we're together in one mind with one voice this morning. God wants to lead us into something new. In the last few months of last year, we were talking much about the kingdom community And about the kingdom community building itself up. And God's heart for us is that every single one of us has a key and significant part to play in that. When I look across the body, what I see in the spirit are giftings in each and every one of us. And those giftings moving between people in the congregation. Not one person doing everything. Not a few gifted people doing everything. But everybody gifted... And every part, every part of the body playing its part and building up this body. That means you. That means God has significant work for you to do. That he's put significant giftings within you that are necessary in the journey that we're on together. That means every member must play their part. This is not a place for superstars. It's a place for the body of Christ where only he gets the glory. That's the body I want to be part of. And praise God, that's the body I am part of and pleased to be. I also see harvest fields all around us. God is sending us out to bring in the harvest. Because the harvest is plentiful. And today I want to talk about reaching out to the harvest. I believe we need to be motivated by the unmatchable love of Christ. Christ. Which is unlike any love that is in the world today. I believe we need to be moving in the unstoppable power of the Holy Spirit. Which is unlike anything else in the world today. And with those two things, we can go and get the harvest and bring the harvest in. The Lord has spoken to me about four different ways that he wants us to reach out to the harvest. And when we go through these today, they're very simple. But there are four keys for us. And as we go through these things, I'm going to tell you from the word things about yourself. I'm going to hold a mirror up to you. Because the seed of Christ is in you. And the one thing we've been learning about the seed is that it will reproduce after its own kind. So when we exhort one another from the word, we're not putting things in front of each other that are unattainable. We're not putting aspirations to each other. We're not putting unreachable barriers, unattainable heights. But what we're doing is we're holding the mirror up and saying, this is the seed that's within me. And this can produce what the Word says it will produce. So don't ever be put off if the challenge is great. Because when the challenge comes from the Word to you, it's only because it's achievable. It's only because the seed of Christ is within you that you can do these things. Because we can do all things through Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. So the first one. you go on to the next slide, please, Adam? I believe that the Lord wants to make us a refuge for those in need. Could you just turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 20? Joshua chapter 20. I love hearing the rustle of pages. That means we're in the Word together. Praise God. We're going to read from the beginning of the chapter. And we're going to read about what were called the cities of refuge. Because God spoke to Moses originally and said, I want you to establish cities of refuge. And then he spoke to Joshua and said, I want you to expand these cities of refuge. And this is where we pick up in chapter 20. Then the Lord said to Joshua, say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses. Then the manslayer who strikes any person without intent Or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and to his own home, to the town from which he fled. This was a radical concept that there would be a haven, a safe refuge for someone that. Um, committed such a crime but did so without intent that did so accidentally that wasn't premeditated and these cities became really important because they were places where people could go and instead of being hunted down by someone that was trying to avenge the death of another they could find a place of safety and they could explain what had happened and they would find a place of protection from that person or persons that were pursuing them These cities had to be accessible. They started with three. And as the nation of Israel grew, God spoke to Joshua and said, I want you to establish another three. There were to be six cities. So they were dotted around the kingdom so people could get to these places and find refuge. They were to be prominent. They were places set up on a hill so that they could be seen from a distance. And they were to be prepared as well. You know, it was the job of those who managed the city to make sure the gates were always open, that the roads were always clear, that no one would ever be prevented from getting to the city of refuge because of things that were put in their way. And I really believe that this reflected God's heart to provide a refuge for those in need in the world. I believe that these cities pointed forward to God's kingdom, which is to be a place of refuge from those in the world. If you just turn with me to Isaiah chapter 25. just want to read a verse here which talks about God being our refuge. In verse 4. Isaiah said this, he said, For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall like a heat in a dry place what's interesting is that uh, not only that God is our refuge but I found this verse in another translation which is called Young's Literal Translation it's a really good translation done many years ago and it's a a very word for word translation and there's just a slight different um, the way that the last bit of the verse verse 4 at the end there The way it looks. It says this, starting sort of partway through the verse. It says that God is a refuge from storm, a shadow from heat. When the spirit of the terrible is as a storm, a wall. You see the difference? When the spirit of the terrible is as a storm, God is a wall. And there's a picture there of someone that's being pursued. And God puts up a wall and says, stop. And that's the kind of refuge that God is. And it's the kind of refuge that we are as his kingdom. It's a high calling. I believe that this world is full of people who are being pursued. Some of them are being pursued by mistakes they've made in the past. Some of them are being pursued by other people. Some of them are persecuted. Some of them are victims of abuse that can't get away from those that abuse them. Some of them are being hounded by a lifestyle that they once knew that they can't escape from. Some of them are just trapped in a life of sin. But sin that relentlessly won't let go of them. You know, when God spoke to Cain, he said, Be careful, Cain, for sin is crouching at your door and it seeks to have you. And sin possesses people, it has them. And there are lots of people in this world that are running from things. And brothers and sisters... This is a city of refuge. Amen. This is a place where people can come in and find refuge. Yes, if you just go back to Joshua 20. We've got as far as verse 6. And he, he goes on in, in verse 7 and he names these cities of refuge. And this, this is amazing. He says... In verse 7, so they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Nephtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah, and beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness of the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. Six cities. And each one, their name means a different thing. Kadesh means righteousness. Shechem means shoulder. Hebron means fellowship. Bezer means fortress. Ramoth means heights. And Golan means joy. And it's like God is saying, for some people, it's running from sin. For other people, they're weak and they need a shoulder to lean on. For other people, they're lonely. Hebron is a place of fellowship. And there's a refuge for those seeking fellowship. For Ramoth, it means heights. For those that are downtrodden. We sang this morning, God has lifted us up. That's what he does. He lifts us up and places us in a place of safety. Golan means joy. There are those that are just downcast. And they need to come to a place of joy and find refuge. In the joy of the Lord. Amen. You know, when we sang that song this morning, I, I was thinking about these names. God has done this for us. Amen. Some of us were lonely. Wow. Some of us were trapped in sin. Yeah. Some of us were just weak, made weak by the circumstances of our lives. But God has lifted us up. God has restored us. That which he's done for us, he wants to do for others. Yeah. But each one of us needs to be a place of refuge. Please, will you read out again the translation of the sentence? Yes, I can. With absolute pleasure. Kadesh means righteousness, Shechem means shoulder, shoulder for the weak. Hebron means fellowship for the lonely. Beza means fortress for the persecuted, Ramoth means heights for the downtrodden. And Golan means joy for the downcast. That's okay? Good. <laughs> Every household in this kingdom community is a city of refuge. You are a city of refuge. What God has done for you, you can do for others. Because the seed of Christ is within you. In fact, it says in Hebrews 6 verse 18, it talks about us as those who have fled for refuge. Hebrews 6 18. We've fled for refuge that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We've fled to Christ for refuge and now we hold fast to the hope that is set before us. And that hope is something we need to hold out to those around us. It's something we need to hold out to those in the world and say, look, we have a hope. That you can set your sights on. We have a hope that you can come and take refuge and hold on to this same hope as us. And restore hope to people that are hopeless. Just turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. There's a wonderful statement in here. About the unmatchable love of Christ. That is in me and is in you right now. Chapter 9, verse 36. Chapter 9, verse 36. Matthew says that, talking about Jesus, in the, in the previous verse it says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. That's our gospel, folks. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed And helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The people were harassed and helpless. They were being pursued. They needed a place of refuge. And Jesus was that place of refuge. It's easy to look at the Gospels and think, there were lots of needy people in the places where Jesus went. There was lots of need. It was so evident. Maybe it was easier for him to reach out and to meet those needs than it is for me to reach out and meet the needs of the world. There is a very thin veneer in the world right now of people that are content and happy and have everything they need. That's the the thin veneer that's been put on the top. But if you scratch below the surface, you'll find that very many people are not like that at all. Some people are obviously not like that. Some people, it's just not apparent until you get talking to them. And the Lord wants us to have the compassion to reach out to them. But look what it says. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. You see, Jesus just didn't have this love within him, but he saw things. And we need to see those who need refuge. Sometimes they won't come running in that door. Praise God that some people do. And they come in this door and we put our arms around them. But there's many that don't know that door is there. There's many that don't know that the hope exists. But they're meeting us every single day. And the Lord needs to open our eyes so that we can see the need underneath. And tell them that there is a place of refuge where they can go. A place where they needn't be harassed anymore or pursued by the things of life. But can find the joy that they need in the kingdom of God. Amen. The second thing is this. I believe the Lord wants us to refresh the weary. To refresh the weary. There are lots of weary people around us. Really weary with life. Because life is so hard. And I believe we can refresh them. Because within us. It says in John verse 7.38, it says that rivers of living water flow from within us. Yeah. Folks, we have the river of God within us. It never runs out. Which means that you can refresh someone else and you'll never run out of things to refresh them with. Sometimes that can be difficult to accept. Because sometimes some of us feel that we need refreshing ourselves, don't we? You know, from time to time. But the word of God says... That the refresher himself or herself will be refreshed. It's as you refresh others that the refreshing of the Holy Spirit comes. And the river flows within us. If we don't refresh others, if we don't allow the river of God to flow out of us, then what happens is we just end up with stagnant water within. God has poured his river into us, but it's not flowing through us. And it needs to flow. Just turn with me to Psalm 84. We're getting a little bit of exercise in the Word today, aren't we? Across to the new, back to the old. Pages turning. Psalm 84 is one of my absolute favourite psalms. Has anyone not read Psalm 84 or does not know it well? Anyone or does everybody know this psalm really well? Maybe, I maybe saw one hand there. I'm sure there's lots of people that maybe haven't come across this psalm yet. It's one of the best psalms in the whole of the book of Psalms. It's wonderful. And it talks about being in the presence of God. And there's so much in it. And I want to focus on verse 5. Where it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, or weeping, they make it a place of springs. How do we refresh the weary? How do I do that? It's a good question. There's two keys in here for us. The first statement is this. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Where are you drawing your strength from day to day? Are you drawing your strength from your friends, from your family, from your own reserves, from your own determination, from your own self-discipline, maybe from your routine? Maybe from your success in whatever it is that you do? Or are you drawing your strength from God? Are you drawing your strength from the Holy Spirit every single day? The second thing is this. It says, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. In whose heart are the highways to Zion. I think other translations it says, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. In other words, there's an eternal pull in these people that it's talking about. In us. In us. There's an eternal pull. Paul talked about this when he said, I forget what's behind and I strain forward to what's ahead. For the heavenly call. That doesn't mean I want to go to heaven right now, but it means I'm being pulled to my eternal destiny. Heaven is in my heart. And I'll do everything I can along the way to get myself to where God wants me to go. My heart is set on that. You know, it's so easy to get distracted by the things of this life. But what's got to be the driving force for each of us is the heavenly call on our lives. It's more important than the job that we do. It's more important where we live. It's more important than the car that we drive. It's more important than the promotion that we're maybe looking at. Those things can fit into that, but they must serve the heavenly call that's on our lives. Because that has eternal ramifications. Some of those other things just don't. So often when I've read this verse, I've read this for me, and and it's fed me. But recently when I read it, I read the the last bit of the verse where it says, this is into verse 6, it says, as they go through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. And I've always thought about me in the valley of weeping, and God making that a place of springs, and that's true. But God said to me, I want to take you into other people's valley of weeping, And you will make it a place of springs for them. That some people will be stuck in a valley of Bacca, a valley of weeping, a valley of despair. And you will be the, the one thing that's needed to bring refreshing. And so that those tears of despair turn into tears of joy. You say, hang on, isn't that the Holy Spirit that does that? Yes, but the Holy Spirit is in you and he wants to use you. In situations to turn people's valley of weeping into a place of joy. And he's waiting for you to step out and to do that. You know, the Lord has spoken to us about being a garden this year. So many times. About being a garden of the Lord. About being a place of his planting. And about different flowers And David shared at the beginning of the year about the prophetic word that came to him, but it regarded us as a people, about what God was going to do amongst us. And the Lord has similarly been laying things on my heart that are garden-related, shall we say. I'm not a gardener, but I appreciate a nice garden. I want you to turn with me to Ezekiel 36. Because for probably about... Maybe about six months I've had this scripture on my heart. And I believe it's speaking of us, and I believe it's speaking of now for us. So as we read this, I want you to think about where we are now, what God has said to us over the last few weeks, and where he's going to take us. Ezekiel 36, and we're going to pick up at verse 33. This is the chapter that precedes the chapter on the Valley of Dry Bones, And in the the preceding chapters, it talks about what was going on in Israel. And then this promise that God gave that he would put a new heart within them. And he's speaking of a new covenant. A heart of um, flesh and not a heart of stone, which the people had. And then he talks about what will happen, the ramifications of that. In verse 33, it says, Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities... I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt, and the land that was desolate to be tilled, instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, and they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. I like that underline there. I'm the Lord, I said it, I'm going to do it. Does that fill you with confidence? (laughs) It does me, I love it when God says that. But here, the, the promise is of a people who've been... Who were once desolate, that are now like a garden. Like the Garden of Eden, which is the archetypal garden of God's planting. God has made us a garden of life, where once we were wasteland and desolate. My life was a wasteland before Christ. My life didn't produce anything before Christ. But now my life is like a garden, and it produces a wonderful fragrance before the Lord. And it's growing and changing. And it will feed others around me. It says in, um, going back to the verse, it says, And the nations around you will know that he is the Lord. What God does amongst us is a testimony to the people of the world that God is the Lord. What God has done in your life and is continuing to do is a testimony to those around you that God is the Lord that God has made you like a garden. And it's from this place that we can refresh others. As a garden before the Lord, we can refresh others. We can feed their souls. The third thing is this. We are to be those who restore the broken. There's not only weariness out there, but there's so much brokenness. So much brokenness. You know, the purpose of refreshing is actually restoration. God doesn't just want to refresh people and they go back to their lives. He wants to restore them. And he wants to use us to restore people. He wants to use us to restore people. In Acts 3 verse 19. Peter stood before the crowds and he said, repent therefore and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's what we have to offer. Refreshing from the presence of the Lord. When you meet with someone who doesn't know Jesus and needs refreshing, you have refreshing from the presence of the Lord. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from your personality, as sparkling and lovely as it may be. As a wonderful, wonderful person you may be. It comes from the presence of the Lord. It's a spiritual thing. It's not just kind words, although they are lovely. But something happens in the spiritual realms. And this is where we need to raise our faith. This is where we need to set our sights on something which is in a higher dimension than we're currently functioning, everyone. You know, the Lord has talked to us about a doubling within us. And that needs a doubling of capacity. I think there's rarely been a time in my life when I haven't felt at full capacity. When I was a student, I thought I was at full capacity. When I got married, I thought, now I'm busy, I'm at full capacity then I became a father and thought I'm really now at full capacity and then I went from one child to three children in one go and realized I wasn't at full capacity at all and that has carried on and on and on and what's changed is that God has given me greater capacity and I expect that to continue not in my efforts not through my skills or maturity as a person but through his ability in me through the spirit of God And I believe for all of us, we have a greater capacity than we're experiencing right now. All of us. So that adjustment that's required to lay hold of God's word means actually saying to God, I'm going to believe that there's more capacity, Lord, than I currently have. And Lord, I want it. I want to move in a a greater way. And that means when we refresh others, we're going to refresh them, from a spiritual dimension we're going to move beyond the natural and refresh people from the presence of the Lord from the spirit of God people will not know what's hit them when the Holy Spirit moves through you and brings a refreshing from the presence of the Lord how exciting is that that's greater than anything I've experienced before but that which I'm hungry for and I hope that you are too Continuing in verse 20 of Acts 3. Refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The purpose of refreshing is restoration. God is restoring all things in the cosmos as big as that may be or infinite as it may be God is restoring it all so that it fits so that it fulfills his original intention for all of his creation and integral to that process is refreshing others but restoration you are a restorer God has made you a restorer when you came into his family you joined the family of restorers that's the family business we restore doesn't mean we take antique furniture and buff it up make it look good we do something on a whole other level we restore at the level of the soul a soul that may be lost and broken and weary and God has put within you the seed to restore a soul how amazing is that what an impact consider the impact you could have on the life of another Not just to refresh them, to actually restore their soul. It just takes a consideration, doesn't it? It's easy for the words to sort of go through your brain and then out the other side of your brain. But actually these words need to penetrate our hearts. And we need to see in faith what that actually means. So that these become more than words. There must be signs and wonders following the word. And my heart today, and in preparing for today when I was before the Lord, my heart is that something is going to happen in us today. That we will have a revelation of what this means for us to be restorers. You know, the really good news, folks, is that that doesn't require your effort for it to happen. It only requires a willingness. The willingness is not to see. The willingness is to do whatever becomes necessary once you've seen you see, Jesus saw, but then he did something. And that's the key for us often when we feel that we're not moving forward in spiritual things. It's, it's actually not because we don't want to see things, we don't want to move. But sometimes there's, within our heart there's an unwillingness at what that might cost us. We might end up looking stupid. We might end up making mistakes. We might end up embarrassing ourselves. We might end up overextending ourselves. And so there's a natural caution that then holds us back. But you know what God's word to us this morning fantastic word about the sun come towards me and I'll burn you up wow that's a scary word for me I'll get burnt up is that something I'm willing to happen what will be left of me John the Baptist said let him increase in me and let me decrease there's nothing to be fearful of being burnt up by the sun of the son the refreshing that we have is actually an entranceway for this process of restoration in the lives of others just turn with me to Isaiah 61 Isaiah 61 is the scripture that Jesus read that set the tone for his ministry it was the mandate he ran with that the spirit of God gave him You know what's really good is to read this scripture just like Jesus did and then to say the scripture's fulfilled in your hearing because this is about me as much as it was about him because I have the anointing of Christ. I'm continuing that which he began to do. The spirit of the Lord is upon you. Just say this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what we can do. We can proclaim liberty to the captives, we can literally bind up a broken heart. You can bind up a broken heart. How do I do that? By the Holy Spirit. He'll give you everything you need. He'll give you the words to speak. He'll move in power when you lay hands on people. You can bind up a broken heart. That means when you meet someone that's in a mess, there is no mess that's too big for the Lord to deal with. You just need to be willing. I'm a restorer. What state are you in? We can deal with that. I can restore you, because the Spirit of the Lord is going to do it. It's not through my efforts, but I'm willing to let him do it through me. Just go back to Isaiah 61, down in verse 4. It says this, it says, They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. Actually, let's just go back just to the middle of the previous verse, chapter three, uh, verse three. It says that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. As us, folks. We're oaks of righteousness planted by the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. There are many generations of devastated people out there whose families have lived in unrighteousness and consequences have followed consequences have followed consequences. But you know what? We're restorers. God has sent us to rebuild and restore that which was broken because he's already done it in us. We're restorers wherever we go. The last thing I want to say is that we are to redirect the lost Last slide, please, Adam. That's okay. We are to redirect the lost. You know, we talked about Paul knowing that heavenly call on his life. I want to feel the way Paul did. I don't think I'm there yet. When I read Ephesians, uh, Philippians 3, verse 11, where Paul talks about forgetting what he's behind and straining towards what is ahead... I don't think I'm where Paul was. I know I'm not, but I want to be. I want to know that heavenly call above all things in my life so that I am straining to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. And we read in in Psalm 84, it said, blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. You know, God has put a highway to Zion in our hearts. It means those that are fixated on the heavenly call. It means those for whom the kingdom of God is absolutely everything. Seek first my kingdom and everything else in life that you're going to need. I will add that to you. But let the kingdom be your driving force. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves whether the kingdom is the thing that's driving our lives or not. It might be sometimes second place or third place. It might be pretty high up in the pecking order. But is it really number one? You say, what about my family? What about my children? Are they not my responsibility? Yes. But what's the promise of the Lord? Put my kingdom first and all these things will be added unto you. You needn't worry about those things. It's only when we don't put him first that actually we start to worry about those things ironically, we put those things first and then worry about them. But if you put him first and they come second, you don't worry about them because you know that your heavenly father will look after all these things. But Paul was a man who had that absolute passion, an absolute unwillingness to let go of the kingdom. He was like the man who saw the pearl of great price and thought, I'll sell everything to lay hold of that pearl. That's an obsession, isn't it? Folks, we need to be obsessed with the king and his kingdom. We need to be obsessed with it. I believe that the Lord will add to us many people who have no direction in their life. They're lost. Some people are drifting, don't really know what they want, disillusioned with life and what it seemingly had to offer. Some people are spinning out of control. And every day we're meeting people like that. Covered with a very thin veneer of modern life and being happy. But scratch below the surface and you'll see these things in people's lives. Our job is to redirect them. You know, when Jesus said, talked about himself as being the way, the truth and the life. The way. He was like a guide. It wasn't a question of... Okay, well, I'm the way, so I'm like a signpost. I'll tell you that, yeah, kingdom's over there somewhere. No, Jesus takes us by the hand and says, I'm going to take you to my Father's kingdom. And then goes and gets someone else and says, I'm going to take you to my Father's kingdom. And the way we redirect people is to take them by the hand and say, I'm going to show you the way to go. This is the way to go. Yeah. And when the heavenly call is the driving force of your life, It'll take little effort to take someone by the hand and lead them in the same direction. Because it's the first thing they'll notice about you. That there's this eternal destiny that's driving your life. They'll say, well, that person doesn't seem lost. That person is going somewhere. I want to go where you're going. And your response will be, then hold my hand, let's go together. Lots of people who are lost, Are all around us all the time. And I believe God's going to add them to us. And we need to be ready to redirect them. Many will be unbelievers, but some will be believers. There's lots of Christians that are drifting, that have just been part of church scenes for years, have drifted from church to church, drifted from place to place, and have not been anchored anywhere. I believe they need to be on the right tracks, like the picture. It's like they're on a train track that's just meandering. But when they come to us, and when they come across you, you put them on the right track. Say, that's the track you need. It's a straight line to the king. And we need to redirect people. The Lord has spoken to us about bringing wild flowers. Do you remember that? wild flowers amongst us there'll be lots of variety in this house in fact when the prophetic word came it said it will change the church as an elder of the church when I read that I thought oh (laughs) oh it's going to change the church whose church is it Jesus there are no superstars in this place except one Amen. Jesus Amen. it's what Jesus wants to do with his church he's going to add wild flowers to us but you know the wonderful thing is because we're a garden the garden of the Lord isn't a wild garden it's actually a cultivated garden and the Lord will add in wild flowers but as he adds them and brings variety he will maintain symmetry in the body symmetry is all about balance it's not good to have an imbalanced body it's good to have a balanced body and as the lord plants flowers amongst us there will be symmetry across his body because it will be his doing but we need to be ready folks to receive people who are not like us that's it. Yes? yes there's one thing that you will share maybe share in common with them and that's jesus And we will work together because the Lord is in our hearts. And some of these people will need redirecting. They'll need putting on the right tracks. They'll be rough around the edges sometimes. But the Lord has planted them amongst us. And he maintains his garden. So we need to be ready for that. You know, there's only a few things that we need. The harvest is his seed. It's his seed. It's not ours. Richard read earlier from 2 Corinthians 9, where the promise of God is that he gives seed to the sower. As you sow, you're not sowing your own seed, you're sowing the seed that he gives you. It's the seed of Christ. And the seed inevitably reproduces after its own kind. It will never fail. So the seed is his. It's not your ability or my ability. This is not down to how talented a group of people we are. This is down to the seed of Christ within us. There's only one thing that's down to us. And that's our willingness. That's the way I see it. That's the only thing in the equation that relies on us. It's our willingness. If you don't say yes, someone else will say yes. If I don't say yes, God will find someone else. I'm expendable. When I say yes, I become Integral to God's purposes and the same goes for all of us we just need to be willing some of us feel that we're at full capacity right now and I want to encourage you that God is going to increase your capacity if you're willing it's exciting and it's scary and there's unknown things that lie ahead but you know what your heavenly father will take care of all that he is trustworthy with your life even if things get a bit scary Even if there are things that are things you never dreamed of doing, your heavenly Father will be with you. You know, when Peter stepped out of the boat, he stepped into something new. And that's a picture of us stepping into something new, something of faith, something that requires faith. It just occurred to me the other day that there's always a boat to step out of. You never step out of the boat and then there's never another boat to step out of. There's always something that God wants you to do that is beyond where you are now and that will require more faith than you have at the minute. So it's simply our willingness to do that. Just to close, I would like to pray for us all. And I want you to meditate on the word that I brought today. But I feel it's appropriate for us to respond to the word. The warning to us in James is that we look at the word and we accept what it's saying about us. And then we go away and forget what the word says. And we're like a man who's looked in the mirror, saw his appearance and then can't remember what he looks like. You know, it's daft. Some people in here are feeling that for some of these things that we've talked about today. About being someone who can be a refuge for those in need. Refresh the weary. Restore the broken out there and redirect the lost that those things are not where that they're beyond your capacity at this time some people feel how can i refresh someone else when i feel dry how can i provide a refuge to someone else when i feel like i'm in a storm well the word of god to you today is if you feel that way if you stand up and say lord even though i don't feel up to those things I trust you that your seed is within me and can do those things in my life. Then the Lord will refresh you. The Lord will provide refuge around you. The Lord will restore the things that are broken, that you feel are still broken in your life. So that you are all that you need to be for him to work through you. Some of us feel that we're at full capacity. Some of us feel that we're going strong with God, that we're laying hold of everything... And the Lord wants to encourage you today to respond, to say, guess what? I've got even more for you. Are you ready for it? So we're going to pray now, and I want to encourage you, don't do it because everyone else does, but stand up if you want to respond to God on either of those things that I've just mentioned. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to ask everybody else to stand up, and then we'll all pray. So if you feel inadequate for any of those things, if you feel lacking in any of those areas, stand up as a statement of faith. If you feel that you're going great guns in those areas, but you want more, stand up as a statement of faith. And we're going to pray, and we're going to lay hold of the word together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the harvest is plentiful. We thank you, Lord, that you put your seed within us, And that is all that we need for life and godliness. It is all that we need to accomplish the mission that you've sent us on, Lord. And Lord, as we stand here in your presence right now, Lord, we put our faith and our trust in you to do these things through us. And Lord, in this physical act of standing, we say we're willing. We're willing to accept the consequences of change that may be needed in us. We're willing to listen to the voice of your spirit when you tell us to stop doing one thing and to start doing another. However painful those changes may be, we will respond, Lord. And we signal our willingness right now. Let's all stand together now. Father, we just commit all that we've said to you this morning. Lord, we pray in this body, in this place, have your way. Lord, our hearts cry, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in this place, Lord. Our heart's desire is to be in the centre of your will, for you to do all the things that are in your heart to do here in this place, Lord. We want to be those who are not found lacking in our response to you, but Lord, we want to be those that can say, like Paul, that we will forget what is behind and we will run wholeheartedly with all of our hearts to lay hold of that which you've called us heavenwards for. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk